Father, thank you for those words of encouragement and truth. Because of the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf, we can sing. Our, our chains are gone. We have been set free. As we prepare now to hear from your word, starting this new series in the book of Proverbs, I pray that you would speak through my feeble and imperfect lips to the people that you've gathered here tonight so that they would be edified and so that they would leave here glorifying you, saying, indeed, what a wonderful God we have. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So as was mentioned earlier, we're starting a new series tonight uh, in the Proverbs. We're in part one this evening, and we're just going to read seven verses of chapter one, verses one through seven. It reads like this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. End of reading. There is a fairly morbid website out there, some of you may have heard of, called thedarwinawards.com, otherwise known as Darwin Awards. By the look of laughter on some of your faces, I can tell you're familiar with it. Uh, what is the site all about? Well, it's pretty simple. They state their mission this way. The Darwin Awards, quote, commemorate those who improve our gene pool by removing themselves from it. That's pretty harsh. In other words, the site is literally story after story of people that hurt themselves or even die due to their own foolishness, their own folly. Now you do a search on Google for the dumbest criminals of 2017 and you'll find headlines like this. Uh, two men try to rob a pub in Maryland without realizing it's hosting a cop's retirement party. Bad news. Or man opens fire after wife takes bite from grilled cheese sandwich. Or finally, bank robbery suspect arrested after stopping for news interview during a crime spree. Not too wise. Now, it's easy to hear stories like this, uh, but the fact is we have, uh, we have all done, uh, in some way of our lives, I mean, we were able to kind of look at these websites and these stories and sort of uh, mock people that have, you know, made such errors in their life. But the fact is, every one of us, if we're honest, has made bad decisions and done foolish things at some point in our life, whether it be the day-to-day -day sort of mundane things like trying to fix something in a way that it's not designed to be fixed with a tool that is not uh, meant to be used, or bigger decisions that are truly harmful, as with the stories above. 
As a matter of fact, no matter how brilliant we are, the Bible says that in contrast to God, we who are finite and have only very limited knowledge of the universe that surrounds us, in one sense are all kind of foolish. We would expect that. God being infinite, knowing all things, us being finite, knowing very little, we can all in one sense say, yes, we're all more foolish than we could be. As the book that we're going to go through, Proverbs, says in one part, man plots his way, he plans a course, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord directs his steps. Mankind has always recognized this, this inherent problem in daily life, this folly. And so one of the things that man has attempted to do throughout his history is to come up with basically generalized statements of wisdom. And they're called Proverbs. The Bible isn't the only book that has Proverbs. The Hebrews were not the only tradition that produced Proverbs. There's other cultures that have essentially what were just observations about life that were written down to say, listen, after years of living and watching, this is what we've come to find out is generally true about the world. Generally true. Now, I emphasize that up front because the Proverbs is a different kind of literature than other kinds of literature in the Bible. Like, generally, we've gone through the Gospels here most Sunday nights. And the Gospels are a narrative. They are telling a story about Jesus, and they are meant to be taken as absolutely have uh, being 100% always true. The Gospels are accounts. They're historical accounts. The Proverbs are telling generalized truths. In other words, they're not specifically promises from God that things are always going to be the way that it's written here, that they're always going to go like that. But generally speaking, they'll go like that. So for example, there's a verse in the Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way they should go, and in his old age he'll come back to it. Is that generally true? Yeah. Generally, it is true that if you train up a child in a certain way, even if they walk away from the way they were trained, generally speaking, they tend to come back to what they know or what they were raised in. That's generally true. Is it a guarantee that it always happens? No. Sometimes it doesn't. So that's very important to to understand about Proverbs as we get into this book, that these are statements of generalized truth about the world. And the passage that's before us tonight is really kind of an introduction to the whole book. It's telling us what this whole book is about. And so we're going to spend some time this evening talking about the goal of Proverbs. Secondly, the fools of Proverbs. There's a lot of them. And then thirdly, the root of the Proverbs. Okay, so first of all, the goal of Proverbs. What is the goal? Well, Really, that's laid out for us in verses 2 through 6. If you want to look in your worship folder, again, you can read along with me. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, etc. So let's just break this down a little bit so that we can understand the goal. The first part that's mentioned is knowledge. What is knowledge? Well, by its simplest definition, knowledge is simply 
acquiring facts, data, information through study or experience. Pretty simple. We all, to varying degrees, have knowledge. In our culture, and especially, I would argue, here in New York City, in most big cities, knowledge is extremely valuable. If one has much knowledge and the right degrees to show that they do have much knowledge, then it is assumed that they have what it takes to make it. But all it takes is a little bit of living in this world to find out that uh, knowledge alone isn't enough, right? I mean, have you ever known somebody that has that seems to know an awful lot about an awful lot of things, but has made really, really bad choices? That has not done, uh, doesn't seem to apply their knowledge? I've known PhDs that are some of the most brilliant people I've ever met that have made terrible, terrible, unwise choices. So knowledge isn't enough. So the Proverbs author, Solomon, goes on to say, it's also understanding that we need. It's not just knowledge, we need understanding. Now to understand something is to take the knowledge you acquire and simply apply it in life. So for example, I can remember when I was living in Staten Island, thinking about moving here into the city to plant this church, thinking that I had a pretty good grasp on uh, what it meant to live in Manhattan. And after all, I was in Staten Island, and I'd come over here a bunch, you know, on the ferry. And, you know, what, was, what could be all that different from being, you know, I'd spent days in Manhattan. But then I moved here. And there's nothing quite like the experience of being in a place that teaches you it, it's a lot different than what you thought you knew. Understanding is applying knowledge. I didn't really understand what it was to live here until I actually lived here. But the reality is, even as good as knowledge and understanding are, that's still not far enough for us. According to the author of Proverbs, uh, it needs to go further. Because even if we begin to get some understanding about something, it is always possible for us to go back to what we think we know already and so instead of changing or adapting to a current situation, we can simply choose to live in denial. So we might, we might get to a point where we understand a thing, but then shrink back. And so there's one more attribute mentioned here that the author wants us to have, and that is an attitude of humility. Or, as he puts it, an ability to receive instruction. In other words, a recognition that we don't know it all, that we don't have everything figured out in this life, an openness to be constantly learning. What does this humble reception of knowledge and understanding result in, according to the author? Righteousness, that is, goodness according to God's definition of goodness. Prudence, that is, a degree of, of caution and thoughtfulness before just jumping right into something. You actually do a little research and think about it and pray about it. And then a consistent increase in learning so that our lives will be guided. Don't you feel, don't you know you need guidance?
There is an author right now, uh, actually he is a professor, by the name of Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian psychology pro professor of psychology. He's written a book called 12 Rules for Life. He's made a number of videos that are enormously popular on YouTube. And he has some interesting things to say, but in truth, he, I, I have to say, I mean, I've watched some of these videos and I've read some of his stuff. He's not saying things that are all that revolutionary. They're just they're not. I mean, it's not something that, like, that no one's ever heard before. As a matter of fact, he would be the first one to say that. I mean, he calls with passion for being responsible and working hard and, and being willing to lead and get out there. I mean, stuff that's, you know, it's like, okay, it's, yeah, that's good, that's good. Now, whether one agrees with his point of view on all things or not, that's not really my point here for bringing him up. The reason I bring him up uh, is because what's gotten him attention is that the majority of people who view his stuff rabidly are young men. They absolutely love him. 80% of his audience is young men. Why is that? Because in the West, there is a whole generation of young men that feel like they don't know what they're supposed to do. They don't know, they're not sure how to live. I, 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 and so this guy seems like he's got it figured out. Maybe he does. And so they watch his stuff rapidly. I mean, if you just do a Google search, you'll see thousands and thousands of videos watched millions and millions of times. The reason, I think, is because people are desperate for guidance. And that, that's true all across the spectrum. We're living in a time where we're just not quite sure what to do. So the goal of the Proverbs is that we would have some sense of direction. We'd have some a path. Okay, this is the way to go. And why do we need this? Well, verse 7 says, because naturally we can be kind of foolish. Let's talk about the fools of the Proverbs. What does it mean to be foolish? Or as our text says, to despise wisdom and instruction. That's what it means. In other words, the fool, if you want to know what a fool is, a fool in life is someone who thinks they've got it all figured out already. By the Bible's definition, it's somebody who despises wisdom and instruction. Now, throughout this series, how we're going to tackle the Proverbs, instead of going through all 30-plus chapters of the Proverbs, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the various fools throughout the Proverbs, because there's a number of them. And we're going to tackle, basically, how to live, according to the Proverbs, by looking at how not to live. That's kind of the way it's going to go. And so you have, you have the fool like the drunkard or the addict that's talked about in the Proverbs who by his addiction shuts himself off from growth. Or there's the glutton who is driven by instant gratification to fill his gut at any given moment. There's the scoffer who just mocks and makes fun of everything. There's the miser who is driven by money and greed. There is the gossip who is too busy talking about others to learn anything about themselves. There's the sluggard. I love that word, sluggard, lazy, who would rather lay around than work or learn anything. There's the adulterer who is driven by instant pleasure rather than 
commitment, and we could go on and on. The point is, the fool is a central character throughout the book, and each one's manifestation is rooted in one overarching issue. The one overarching issue is pride. Pride. In other words, a lack of humility. Someone, the Proverbs say, who stops his ears, puts his hands over his ears, and doesn't want to hear. Now, let's be honest. You ever been there? You ever stopped your ears from hearing something somebody had to say to you that you didn't want to hear? I have. I've been confronted numerous times. I mean, it's impossible not to. I've been married for almost 15 years now. That's just going to happen in marriage. You're going to be confronted about a lot, actually. You're going to find out that you do a lot of stuff that's pretty dumb. It's just part of the deal. You do a lot of stuff that you shouldn't do. And if you have a good relationship in your marriage, your spouse is going to be happy to let you know. Hey, you're being dumb. Stop it. Usually it gets a little bit more specific than that. But it can happen to any of us. I mean, it's, we, we are, we are, we're naturally proud people. That's our, our sinful nature. Our nature is naturally wants to believe we got things figured out and then someone has the audacity to suggest that I don't. How dare they? I see this even with my six-year-old right now. He, he absolutely believes that he is the sovereign Lord of his universe and that he does have things figured out. It starts early for us. It starts even, the Bible says it, in conception. Pride. One of the great illustrations I heard of pride came from my pastor growing up. He shared a story about two seminary professors. He was on a road trip on this bus. They were, I think they were part of like a choir team. And they were on this road trip on this bus. And apparently where they were going, there had been a new route that had been recently built since the last time they took this choir trip. And one of the seminary professors says, hey, you know, I think there's this new route that will save us some time. And another seminary professor who had been taking this, you know, trip for a long time said, no, 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 we need to go this way. And the other seminary professor said, but no, I think there's a new route that will save us like quite a bit of time. And the other one said, no, 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 we, it, believe me, I've been doing this for years. We need to go this way. And they started arguing. They started going back and forth. Until finally, they stopped and the seminary professor who was advocating for the new way got a map and showed the map. Like, hey, see, look, there's, we're, this is the route. We can go this new way. And what did the old seminary professor say? The map is wrong. The map is wrong. That's foolishness. I've got it figured out. Don't tell me. I know what's best. But wisdom is the humility to say, I can always learn more. So that's the description of foolishness in the Proverbs. What's the root of wisdom in the Proverbs? Well, the root of the Proverbs, you can find at the beginning of verse 7. And it tells us simply that it is the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? I know when we first hear that word fear, it may strike us as something we don't like, right? I mean, who wants to be afraid unless you're going to see a quiet place, which, by the way, is excellent. 
Um, but the way that word is used most often in Scripture is synonymous uh, actually not with, like, um, with terror as much as it is with reverence. To fear God is to worship God, to submit to God, to recognize that the universe revolves around Him and not you. Why is that the root of wisdom? Because it anchors our lives in one who is outside of the temporal things of our day to day. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows it all. The fear of the Lord reminds us that our creator and designer knows how we actually are designed to live, how we're meant to operate. And without this, our knowledge can only be temporal at best. At best, our wisdom can only be based on that which shifts and changes constantly. Sure, we may find consensus on any number of things at a certain time in history. In our culture, we may be able to get a majority of people to believe that one thing is right at a certain time or a certain morality is wise, but how far, how, how can we know for sure? How can we know for sure, for certain that we're right? Apart from God, we can't. That's the case of the Proverbs. So by this definition then, our problem is that we're not very wise much of the time. We think we can manage our own lives just fine. Thank you very much. So we don't pray. We don't read his word. We don't value fellowship with other believers. We make our decisions so often based on what we think is best in the moment. And this foolishness leads often to our destruction. Frankly, if our life and especially our salvation were dependent on our own ability to figure it out, we're in a heap of trouble. Because we're like the short parable that Jesus tells in the Sermon on the Mount. There once was a man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now up until that moment, up until that moment, the house on the sand probably looked pretty good. But the problem was the foundation underneath it. Once challenges came... It had nothing to withstand the onslaught and broke down. What does Jesus say in that parable? That man is like a fool who hears his words but does not do them. And to some extent, that's all of us, right? We're all fools who, by one degree or another, have destroyed our homes. And yet, it is at that point when we recognize that our wisdom has produced a sandy foundation, when our own wisdom has fallen apart and been flooded by the problems of this world, right then, it is then that we hear another word. The word of one who is able to resurrect our homes and rebuild them on the solid foundation of his wisdom. It's right then that we need to be reminded of the wise one who stands in our place, who takes our folly to his cross and is crushed for our iniquities. It is then that we need to hear the voice of wisdom personified, Jesus Christ, who quite literally is referred to as that in the New Testament. He is referred to as wisdom personified 
We need to hear him declaring to us that because he is our substitute, all sins are forgiven and we are declared perfectly wise in his sight. All our folly, all our foolishness, no matter how foolish you've been, no matter how many dumb things you and I have done, Jesus is at the cross. I'm paying for it. I'm getting rid of it. I'm declaring that you, by faith in me, are seen as wise in the sight of God. And I can take your foolish your foolish plans and your foolish life, and I can turn it around. I can give you new wisdom, new hope, new direction, new guidance. And it's then when we receive this truth that His Spirit gives us the ability to worship Him and submit to Him, that then wisdom can begin to be lived out in our lives. And that's our hope as we go through this series over the next number of weeks. So, will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, I thank you again that in spite of our folly, you don't, don't give up on us. You come to us in the midst of our problems and our failures and our struggles. As your word in Romans says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God shows his love for us in this, that while we were enemies, he came and lived for us. So, Father, help us from that knowledge to become wise. As we look at what it means to walk in wisdom, help us, Father. Guide us by your Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we'll have a song of response, and then we'll continue in our service. Thank you for that sermon.